We are in the book of Philemon. It is a very short book. It's, <laughs> it's one chapter long. I woke Brian up. One chapter long, and I've been in it for the third, this is the third week. So you know, guys, all right, we're rounding the corner. All right, we're going home. We're sliding in. Sliding in. By the way, shout out to you, NC State and UNC fans. Um, I do want to say whatever you promised God yesterday at the end of the fourth quarter, you better come through today. That's all I'm going to say. Lord, if they miss this field goal, I will. Whatever you said, you better fall through. If you're Carolina, Lord, if they miss this two-point conversion, here's what I'll do. And uh, Man, anyway, the book of Philemon, it's one chapter. It is a story connected to the book of Colossians. My, my job today is not to tell the story of Philemon in detail again because we have done that the past two Sundays and that's okay. I will give you like the, the elevator pitch. There was a owner of slaves named Philemon. There was a slave named Onesimus who did his master wrong. He flees from the city of Colossae as a slave. He goes all the way 1,300 miles to Rome just by chance. In Rome, he meets up with a man named Paul. You may have heard of him. He meets up with a man named Paul. In their conversations, I believe the conversations happened in prison. You can think differently. I don't. That's no big deal. But they had a conversation. They find out that they know the same people. Wait a minute. You know Epaphras, the pastor of the church at Colossae? Yeah, I do. My master, former master Philemon, is a part of that. And Oh, and they start connecting the dots. And so... Onesimus comes to faith in Christ due to his relationship with Paul. His life is changed by the gospel. Paul is sending him back to Colossae, his hometown, with a letter to reconcile the relationship between Philemon, the old slave master, and Onesimus, the runaway slave. That's the story. Okay, that's the story. Now, there have been elements that we have pulled from this story. Two weeks ago, we pulled the fact that Paul really wanted to make sure that Onesimus' identity was known. Not only to Onesimus, but to Philemon. This is not a slave or a servant anymore, that he is a child of God. And so we spoke about the importance of our identity two weeks ago. And then last week we spoke about the subject of forgiveness. Spoke about the subject of forgiveness and, and how Paul challenged Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And today what I've done is I've just basically titled today Final Lessons from this letter. There are a couple, three elements in this letter that are, let me, let me be very clear this morning. I believe in preaching the Bible in context. I am not telling you this morning that the things that we speak about today are the main objective of this letter. They are not the main objective. But these are some lessons found within this letter that I believe can help us. Is that fair? The main objective of this letter is biblical forgiveness. That's the main thing we spoke about it last week. I got testimonies from some of you who went and took that step last week and made that phone call or reached out to that person and started the process of forgiveness. And that's incredible. That is the main thrust, okay? So don't, don't get it twisted today that I'm coming in here and I'm trying to make mountains out of molehills. I'm not. I'm telling you that we're going to speak about a couple of things in the text uh, throughout this letter to Philemon uh, that I believe are, are important for us. You ready? All right, I see the time. Ready? Break. All right, here we go. Number one, spiritual authority 
is not a weapon. Mm. Spiritual authority is not a weapon. Look at the eighth verse of the book of Philemon. Therefore, Paul says, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner, and now, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Do you see what Paul just wants to make sure Philemon understands? He says, basically in a nutshell, the beginning of verse 8 says, Philemon, I could invoke my authority. I could. Look, look, look what he says in verse 9. I'm being such a one as Paul. He held the position of apostle. Being such a one as Paul, the aged. I'm a, I'm a father in the faith. I have these young men like Timothy and others that, that I have won to the Lord and they've helped start churches. And if you can imagine, you know, let's see, around here there have been several churches that have started and been planted. And can you imagine if there was one man who had kind of financed it all, had kind of brought all of us guys that planted churches in Durham together, had trained us, and there was one person responsible for all the church plants. Well, we would be like, hey, listen, when that guy speaks, like, let's listen to him. Like, he helped, he literally started this church. Like, this guy wants to come preach, like, come on. Like, because I want to, we want to hear from you. Okay, and so that was the way it was with Paul. But just because, and listen to me very clearly this morning, once again, this is not the main thrust of the book of Philemon. Don't get me wrong. But just because Paul possessed the authority did not mean he would weaponize the authority. Just because Paul possessed the authority did not mean he would enact the authority. Does everybody understand that? You, if you have children in this world, you are an authority. You have a God-given authority over your children. In our culture, you have a God-given authority over your children until they're 18 or whatever you say, until they're out of your house or whatever the rule that you want to make. You have authority, but how many of you understand you don't always enact your authority? You possess it, but if you're a wise parent, I think the word is the phrase is we pick our battles, right? We pick our battles. Some battles are worth fighting. And some battles are not worth fighting. So we possess the authority, but we don't enact the authority. And may I say this this morning? There are biblical leadership structures, not just in your home, but also in God's church. Biblical leadership structures that God has designed to be healthy benefits to the inner workings and the operations of a church ministry. God has enacted certain authority structures within a church to help it run smoothly, to help us organize things like going out all across the city and loving on our first responders, to organize things like the Uprising uh, Teen uh, Student Ministry event this coming Saturday. 
He has given us leadership to organize things like connect groups and people to lead in that structure to organize and lead through connect groups. He has given us ministry leaders that help with greeting and setup and tech and kids and everything that we do. And those are biblical structures and they were designed to be healthy benefits. And when those structures operate within their bounds, their biblical bounds, and with a biblical spirit, when those authority structures operate properly, they are life-giving and refreshing. They are life-giving and refreshing. There's one ministry that I lead uh, directly, um, not just oversight of the whole thing, but there's something I step in and lead directly. That is our connect groups. I lead our connect group leaders. And one of my goals as I lead our connect group leaders, and I'm not going to ask them, I never, I didn't tell them I was going to say this, but one of my goals is that I lead our connect group leaders in such a way that they are refreshed and they have life breathed into them because of the way I stay in communication with them or the way that I serve them or the way that for the last three months we give them a breather from having someone in their house every week. I try to do those things. Because if I'm leading from a healthy spot and I'm leading with a healthy spirit, my authority is a help. My authority is serving them. But when those leadership structures operate outside of their biblical bounds, in pride, in anger, or in manipulation, they are stifling and can become abusive. Same leadership structure, same one. Josh leading connect group leaders. That could turn, if I'm not careful, into something where I'm manipulating something that's not best for a leader because I think it's best for me. Or it's manipulating something that might not be best for a leader, but I feel like it's best for other people. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not following biblical structures of not only the leadership structure but my spirit and my attitude I can stifle their leadership I can stifle what they are doing and called to do for the Lord prideful angry and manipulative manipulative spiritual leaders project the opposite of the gospel they feed their own flesh and they wind up aiding the forces of darkness instead of the forces of light They aid the forces of darkness against the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And I'll be honest with you, this is where a good portion of church hurt, you've heard that terminology, church hurt, this is where a good portion of church hurt originates. I am a pastor, so I I am part of that fraternity. So I feel like I can say some of these things. Like, like, Unhealthy pastoral leadership is a scary thing. It's a scary thing. I don't know if you have been under legitimate spiritual abuse or been hurt by the church in a certain way due to unhealthy spiritual authority, but it can leave scars that last a lifetime. You know, I'm a pastor. And sometimes when I interact with people, I don't lead out with that. That's not the first thing I tell people, hey, I'm Josh the pastor. That's not what I do. I'll meet people out in public and I'll talk. 
And sometimes when, I, when it comes out and they ask me what I do for a living and I say that I pastor a church, I can sometimes like visibly see this change in people. And what I believe some of that is, is it's a trigger. It takes them back to a time of hurt. It takes them back to a time of manipulation. It takes them back to a time of sin. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, now I've got to fight out of this hole I dug myself in. Maybe I didn't dig it. Maybe somebody else dug it for me, but I just fell in it. All because somewhere in their lives, they experienced unbiblical spiritual authority. Paul could have. He could have. This letter could have been Paul saying that I command you in the name of Jesus. I command you, according to this other letter that I just wrote to Ephesians 4.32, forgive because God for Christ's sake forgave you. I command you to forgive him. He could have. May I say this morning, healthy spiritual leaders motivate. Unhealthy spiritual leaders manipulate. And if you're not careful, those lines get very blurry. It is part of my job to motivate you to do right. Sometimes that means pointing out when we're doing wrong. It's part of my job as a pastor. It's part of my job in preaching God's word is to point out error and sin. It is not my job to manipulate It is my job when we see things in our church that aren't lining up the way we feel like God wants them to line up. It's my job to say, hey guys, listen, we've got to press the reset button right here. We're not not doing what God wants us to do. We've let it it slide a little bit as a church. We need to, I motivate you. Hey, listen, we're not spending the time with the Lord in prayer that we ought to spend and we've got to do this, church. Listen, there's some division or there's some infighting in here and we've got to take care of this. We've got to fix this. That's my job. But it is not my job to manipulate you with my unhealthy spiritual leadership. And you say, Josh, how do we know the difference? Well, number one, time always tells. Number two, the Holy Spirit inside of you and the Holy Spirit inside of me ought to bear witness one to the other. And you ought to be able to, there ought to be a Holy Spirit trigger inside of you. It's like, we need to have a conversation. We need to have a conversation. Spiritual leadership. Motivating, not manipulative. And a spiritually abusive leader cannot lead a healthy church. Because it's contaminated from, a top, from the top down. So spiritual authority is not a weapon. And God forbid that spiritual authority is ever weaponized here. May I say this, and I've said this often in our five years of existence. If you see spiritual authority abused in this church, by all means, it's to be called out. It's to be called out. Spiritual authority is not a weapon. Secondly, spiritual transformation and useful ministry is always the goal. 
Spiritual transformation and useful ministry is the goal. Look at verse 10 in our text. Once again, these are not the main thrusts and the main themes of this book, but these are lessons that we need to take with us. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. He says, while I was in prison here, I, I met him and led him to Jesus, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. While this point is not directly related to the first observation, I will say that healthy spiritual leaders often lead congregations full of people who have been genuinely transformed by Jesus and who are useful in ministry service, though. It, it is ironic that healthy leaders lead healthy churches. It's, 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 the irony is odd there. That healthy leadership brings about transformed lives and useful ministry work. In fact, Onesimus was so useful that many commentators on this book think that Paul's real goal was for him to go back and fix his relationship with Philemon and then to return to Rome and help serve alongside Paul. He was so useful in ministry that Paul, his real goal was that, that he would go back and make things right and then come back and serve with Paul. 1,300 miles, 2,600 round trip. He didn't even have no Southwest Airlines, no nothing. It's a long drive. <laughs> it's a long walk. The goal for the, Christ, for the life of Onesimus in Christ was twofold. That he would be radically transformed by the gospel. From slave to child of God check and secondly that he would be profitable and useful in service and in ministry listen folks i i don't know how more simply to say a goal of keystone church is that your life be radically transformed and changed by the gospel of jesus and this morning i hope you can say check the gospel has changed my life so then secondly it is that we would provide opportunity and encouragement and equip you to now serve the church of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Listen, that's our goal. If we could just sum it up, it's to introduce people to Jesus and then equip them to serve him for the rest of their lives. Man, what, what an awesome goal. What an awesome reality here in the life of Onesimus as Paul leads him to Jesus and then trains him and disciples him to be profitable and useful in ministry. So what does this teach you today? This specific point. Onesimus was an outcast. In that day, many believed that what he did and whatever he wronged Philemon with, which the Bible is not very clear on, but whatever he did to wrong his master, many believe it was worthy of death. I believe that when he met Paul in chains, I believe that Onesimus was in prison in Rome. My personal opinion. Once again, the Bible doesn't say it, but that's what I believe. He either met, he was either in prison with Paul or so, he was hanging around a prison for some odd reason, which not many people do unless they have to. 
You know what it teaches us? It teaches you, it should teach you. That the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst are sinners just like you and I were. That the, the convict, maybe times two, is the convert. And that no matter what you've done in your past, and no matter how you feel like you have failed, and no matter how much you feel like, well, there's no way because, man, if I can't forgive myself. I can't get over this. I've done this wrong, and I've done this wrong. I'm here to tell you today that the story of Onesimus is a story of redemption. It's a story of restoration. It's the story of a slave becoming a serving member of the body of Christ. And if you're here today and you say, there's no way I could fill in the blank, I beg to differ. Oh, there's no way I could. What's God placing in your heart and in your mind to serve him? Where is God placing in your heart to serve him? In what capacity is God placing in your heart to serve him? And you've said, there is no way. Well, let me say this. If Onesimus can become profitable to Paul in ministry, then you can become profitable to Jesus in ministry and serving. Spiritual transformation and useful ministry is the goal. Because it does not matter who you used to be. God wants to use you today. And your past is just what it says it is. Your past. Your past. You can neither do anything about it, nor can you change it, nor can you relive it. Onesimus. But you can be step into your useful, profitable work and service of ministry. So once again, final lessons from this, this letter. Spiritual authority is not a weapon. Spiritual transformation and useful ministry is the goal. Thirdly, and we're done, biblical reconciliation involves atoning work. Atoning work. Look at verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Man, that's awesome. Paul says, when you look at Onesimus, don't see Onesimus, see me. Jesus says, when you look at Nathaniel Miller, God, don't see Nathaniel Miller. What does he say? See the blood of Jesus. The atoning blood of Jesus, that word simply means, it's, it's a broad word really, but it is that everything was satisfied, that everything was paid, that it was done. But Paul didn't stop there. Look at verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. 
Paul is attempting to reconcile Onesimus and Philemon. He has already explained to Philemon that Onesimus is a changed person. He is now a follower of Jesus. He now can be profitable in ministry service. But Paul is thinking ahead, and I believe Paul is thinking, what are some of the objections that Philemon may have? And Paul wants to go ahead and address them in this letter. And so Paul commits to paying any debt or any wrong that Philemon would be owed by Onesimus for whatever had happened between them in the past. Paul so much wanted this reconciliation between these two men that he was literally putting his money where his mouth was. And Paul says, if he owes a debt, I'll pay it. Folks, it's too easy. It's too simple to not see the parallel. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages, the debt of sin is death. And Jesus says, If they owe a debt, and we do, and we did, put that on my account. And Jesus did. The parallels here are unmistakable. The atoning work of Jesus, the substitutionary work of Jesus, where he stepped in Josh Cox's place and stood on a cross and died for my sin. We see it, a beautiful picture of it right here. With Paul saying, I'll pay the debt. And may I say this morning that every person under the sound of my voice, we have all sinned. We, like Onesimus, have wronged our creator, just like he wronged Philemon, and we owed a debt. In this story, we are or were Onesimus. I believe, bottom of my heart, most people in this service have followed Jesus, and they would be Onesimus now, the transformed Onesimus. Praise the Lord. But there may be someone in here today who is still Onesimus, the slave, still Onesimus, the sinner, Still Onesimus, the one who ran from his master. And Paul in this story shows us a Christ-centered view of what Jesus did for us. As Paul steps in and he not only says, when you look at him, don't look at him, look at me. See him through my blood. See him through my scars. See him through my resurrection. But he says if he owes a debt, oh, the sin debt, death, hell, eternal punishment, Jesus said, I paid that too. I paid that too. Listen, this morning, it's Labor Day weekend. We're all looking forward to whatever plans that we have later on today and tomorrow. I get that. But this morning, if you have never comprehended the gospel that tells you that you were once alienated from your creator because of sin. But that Jesus stepped in in your place and he offers you forgiveness. 
He offers you reconciliation between you and your creator, but it is only through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and he's the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so I ask you today, Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever believed on the one who reconciled you to your creator? How great the chasm from sinner to creator. And the only thing that could bridge that gap was the Savior. Have you trusted in him? Have you believed in Jesus and Jesus alone? Have you added him to your list of good deeds of like, I, I give, char- give to charity, I'm really kind to people, I try to be very active in my neighborhood and cooking meals for people and, uh, and I try to do good and then yeah, also I believed in Jesus. and No, it's all Jesus. It's 110% Jesus. Have you believed in that? Do you believe that he came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he was buried and three days later as we celebrate on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead? Do you believe that this morning? And if you believe that this morning, would you be willing to take that step of faith and say, I put my faith and trust and belief in Christ and Christ alone. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I typically do this part of the uh, service because we're closing. I do that with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to do a little different today. We'll stay up here looking. If you're here today and you have never taken that step, this is nothing spooky. Last Sunday, I was sitting at a Mexican restaurant and watched a young adult make this decision and be so happy. It was awesome. I believe here in the next few weeks you'll be getting baptized and you'll hear a story. Listen, it's nothing to be ashamed about, it's nothing to be scared about, but it is something to act upon. If you have never believed in Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, today is the Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.